0: Pastor Ray Bentley says it was a common thing for disciples to want to be close to their rabbis, their teachers in the first century.
1: Literally, they had a saying that you wanted to get his dust on you. That's how close you were to be to the rabbi because that was a symbol that you were close enough to follow him, listen to him, imitate him, learn from him personally because discipleship was more caught than taught. Spread
0: Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. As the Lord's disciples, we're to model Christ in several different ways. Obviously, we're told to put on the mind of Christ. We're to so fill ourselves with his thoughts that they become our own. And we're also to then be a representative of Christ to the world that desperately needs him. Some help today from Pastor Ray.
1: We now open our Bibles to Mark 6. And we're going to look through verses 1 through 12. And we're going to finish the the message tonight with Jesus sending the disciples out. And and he sends them out as emissaries of the Messiah. We're going to talk about what that means. But let's uh, look at the first part here in uh, verses 1 through 6. As Jesus finally, after a year of ministry... Uh, Around uh, the Sea of Galilee and the headquarters of Capernaum, he goes back to his home. He goes back to Nazareth. So we read beginning in verse one. Then he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished. And saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit, teaching And he called the twelve unto himself. So we'll stop there for right now. When Jesus came home. This is uh, his hometown. This is Nazareth. And we're talking about again after a year of ministry in Capernaum where miracles have been happening. And now large crowds have already begun to follow him in his first year. And he now comes home, it's not a great distance away, it's still in the northern part of Israel. Capernaum is not that far from Nazareth, but he leaves Capernaum and he takes now his disciples who have been taught and trained and discipled by him for about a year, he takes his disciples with him to his home. And when he comes to his home, many people are looking at him and they have no doubt heard the stories They've heard of supernatural things, and they're confused. And so now he comes home. And the other part was that he was a carpenter. Uh, And so generally, and and he was a full-grown man. He he had begun his ministry when he was 30. Let's say he's 31. So the the, the vast majority of his life, uh, he was a man who worked with his hands. He was a day laborer. He was a, a man of construction. Usually, you know, when, especially in that culture and at that time, you, you started around 12 years of age, you kind of decided which course. Am I going to be a rabbi? Am I going to go for religious studies? Am I going to be a man of the word and prayer and study? Or am I going to be a man that you works with my hands and maybe a fisherman? Maybe I'll be a carpenter. Uh, maybe I'll work in farming. And and you usually charted your path, and then you went, and by the time you're a full-grown man and you've become a journeyman in whatever area you are, you don't switch or trade. So this is very, very difficult for them. And what's interesting is, uh, as Jesus comes, the response that he gets. It says in verse 2, and when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. They're absolutely, they cannot put together Jesus, his power, his authority, his presence, his being a rabbi for that matter. Where did this man get these things? And the things they were confounded about, his wisdom. They recognize he's not talking like a carpenter. So the greatest challenge to Jesus' ministry were from his own hometown, his own family, among his own familiar friends. And I believe, first of all, that how gracious of Jesus to return here. And here's what Jesus shows. I I put a couple of things you can put down, write down in your notes, just so you write it, think about it, and plant it in your mind. Jesus' example shows us that we need to be, number one, patient with our family and home. Patience. You cannot argue them into the kingdom of heaven. You can love them into the kingdom of heaven. And number two, we learn be gracious with people who do not trust us in the beginning. How many of you know it's possible to say the right things, but in the wrong tone to totally be saying the opposite? So it's very true. We must learn graciousness with people who do not trust us. And again, verse three, is this not the carpenter? Now, what they were really saying is not that he was a carpenter. There's, the implication was he's just a carpenter. And I want you to note there, I love, I love, God loves to hide his glory in humble places and circumstances. And so often we go, we are ashamed of our humble uh, circumstances or uh, our lack of, Name, reputation, pedigree, or doctorates, or whatever we may feel like, oh, I don't have what it takes. No, the Lord loves, loves to manifest, reveal, hide, and then display and reveal His glory through such humble things. Therefore, the Apostle Paul learned a great secret. Rather than being ashamed of all my, uh, you know, weak spots, he began to glory in them. He gloried in all of his weaknesses. Why? He said, because it's not about me. It's about him. It's about Jesus. He gets more glory. And now that God has become a man and has chosen that his son would be a day laborer and a contractor and a man who worked with his hands and a carpenter, God says, I like that. I get glory from my son. And it, he, he beautified For every day laborer, uh, the the value, uh, the importance of working hard, working daily, working with your hands. It honors all work and God receives more glory. And then they say, but we know, uh, you know, he's Mary's son. By the way, why didn't they say he's Joseph's son? And it is believed that this little minor uh, adjustment here is acknowledging that Joseph was dead, that he was gone. Have you ever wondered, so why didn't Jesus like start when he was 25, 27, maybe 26, 28? Why did he wait till he was 30? And why all that time was he working with his hands? Well, yes, to bless and to show that God was relating to the day labor and the carpenters and, and all of that. That's one reason. But there's another more simple, practical reason and that is that most Bible commentators believe that while Jesus was young sometime shortly after he was 12 years of age when his dad was with him when he went uh, to Jerusalem with Mary shortly thereafter Joseph died and Jesus being the oldest son of the family therefore had the responsibility of taking care of the other siblings as well as providing for his mom And that he did that faithfully until he was 30 years of age. And apparently, by the time he was 30, the other brothers and sisters were old enough that they could kind of make it on their own. And now he was free to... Isn't that amazing? This is the Messiah. He only has to save billions of people, the whole planet. But, well, we've got to raise the kids first, you know, with mom.
0: Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment it's such a blessing to hear from our radio listeners who found biblical help and hope through this ministry dear ray bentley i was at a very low time in my life a time when i was starting to question the existence of god i felt as if god was nowhere in my time of need i received one of your radio offers about discouragement it opened my eyes and showed me that god was everywhere in fact I see now that God allowed me to endure this time of pain to strengthen my love and commitment toward Him. It's funny how God works sometimes. Right when you think He's nowhere to be found, there He is. How have these studies in God's Word had an impact on your life or impacted your family? Would you drop Pastor Ray an email and let him know? Write ray at raybentley.com. That's ray at raybentley.com. It would be such an encouragement to hear from you today. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley.
1: Now, some of you maybe are taking care of moms and dads, grandparents, people that are elderly or sick or whatever, and you're wondering, man, I'd love to be out there preaching like Pastor Ray or being a missionary and doing all these other wonderful things, but I'm doing what's, you know, I have to do, and it seems mundane and unimportant. Know this, whatever Jesus Christ did was important. And a value to the Father in heaven. He sanctified. If you are caring for anyone who is older. It is sanctified. It is holy. It is so important. God put off the mission of the Messiah. Until he was 30 years of age. So that he could take care of raising those little ones. Extremely important and valuable. But the people it says were offended at him. In verse 3. The end of verse 3. So they were offended at him which literally means they stumbled over him. The Greek gives us our English word, scandalize. He was scandalized. Everybody's afraid of a scandal and they sell magazines and, you know about scandals. <laughs> Jesus was a scandal. They thought they really knew him, but their opinions were wrong. How many have heard the expression, familiarity breeds contempt? Being too familiar. They thought they knew him, but they did not. We must ever remain in awe of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a great mistake to think even now that you know him or you know everything about him. And I want to say this, that when we live our lives, do not live to please other people or the opinion polls or satisfy, as I laughingly describe the blogs, it's so funny that you know now everybody can write a blog and everybody's an expert on everything. And most of the blogs are based on tearing down other people and why the other people are not to be followed or listened to or their flaws or their weaknesses or whatever and to put their opinion into it. And it can be very, very discouraging. And we can be motivated wanting to change that or try to please people. Jesus did not, was not motivated to try to please the home crowd. <laughs> or other people, or opinions, or to get popular, or to get good press. By the way, there are some churches and Christian ministries today that are saying, oh, I don't like the way Christians are being portrayed in the media. We need to work hard to change that around so we have a good opinion among the people. No, not necessarily. Now, some of it is self-deserved, and we have made surely many mistakes, but our goal is never to get good press. Jesus said, the world hates me. Therefore, if you love me and follow me, they're also going to hate you. So what should we do about all the opinions of the people in the world about Jesus and Christianity? We should do exactly the same thing Jesus did. He didn't consider it. There was only one opinion that mattered to Jesus. If you ask Jesus, Jesus, who are you worried about or thinking about, who do you care about their opinion? The people in Nazareth, is it the Pharisees, is it the Sadducees, is it it the political leaders, is it the Romans, is it Caesar, uh, is is it the populace? It's, no, 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 none of the above. There's only one opinion I care about. Who do you think it was? My father. He lived only to please his father. I do what my father tells me. He gloried in the father as the father gloried in the son and it will certainly help us and set us free if we will only try to live not to please others but only to follow him jesus the carpenter he was the greek word is uh, tecton which literally means a craftsman a builder it means he not only worked with wood but he probably also worked with stone i wrote down this scripture isaiah chapter 8 verse 14 let's read that scripture he will be as a sanctuary but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem." What does this mean? It means that for you, the Messiah can either be a hiding place, resting place, or a boulder blocking your way from your own agenda. He can be a rock that is solid upon which you can build your life and your future and your eternity, Or he can be, again, like a rock that is keeping you from going in the direction that is wrong for you to go. Many stumbled over this rock when all they needed to do was rest upon the rock. Don't stumble over Jesus Christ. Rest in him, amen? And then in closing, verses seven through 12, it says, and he called the 12 to himself and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them power "...over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on uh, two tunics. And he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place." And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and they preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Jesus calling and sending his disciples. Very quickly, I want to share this with you. In the ancient world, it was not the disciple who signed up for a particular rabbi. I really like that rabbi. love his teaching and his style. I'm going to follow him. That's not the way that it worked. It was when a rabbi saw a promising student as a possible Talmud, which is the Hebrew word for disciple, then the rabbi himself would come, tap him on the shoulder, and say, come, I want you to follow me. And then... By being chosen, uh, you would leave everything and live with the rabbi, follow the rabbi. uh, You would sleep where he slept. You would eat where he ate. You would follow him wherever he was in a concentrated time of apprenticeship. But you did not choose him. He chose you. What did Jesus say in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, to the disciples? You did not choose me. I chose you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, how many of you are believers in Jesus Christ, all right? Don't think, oh, I decided to become a follower of Christ. I decided I was gonna be one of his disciples. You made a choice, but let me tell you, he chose you before you chose him. And he called you, it's a privilege to call you into a period of discipleship. There are many who become believers, who are just followers, and they're, they're just kind of cruising around with a mob of people. They never grow. When you are tapped on to come follow a rabbi, the idea was that literally they had a saying that you wanted the dust, that the swirls of dust around his feet, you wanted to get his dust on you. That's how close you were to be to the rabbi. That the dust that he caused to swirl around his ankles got on you. Because that was a symbol that you were close enough to follow him, listen to him, imitate him, learn from him personally because discipleship was more caught than taught. You became literally like him. So it was the Greek model uh, which was more about structured learning and uh, the primary purpose of Greek learning was to transmit information. The Jewish model of learning was not merely the transferring of information, but it was more the transformation of life. And that's why it's gonna be a discipleship. It's gonna take three and a half years of you being right next to me. You're gonna see every person I pray for, every demon I cast out, every miracle that happens. You're gonna learn by experience and being with me. That's why a disciple lived close to his rabbi, because it was more caught than taught. And then Jesus, Once he had them and chosen them, he sent them out. I send you out. And and the word there, sent in Greek, is where we get our word apostle. Say apostle. Apostle or emissaries. And we think, oh, this means one who is sent out and we call missionaries apostles. And that's true. Missionaries are apostles in one sense of the word. But all of his chosen disciples are also called to be apostles. And there's a different word in the Jewish world. It is, the, the word is shaliach, which is the Greek word apostle. And listen to this, I put it in your notes. This one who is sent is in fact equal to the sender himself. Now listen to, I'm not talking about Christ's deity. I'm calling about the call and the mission and the being sent. You are equal to the one who now sends you. In other words, the Apostle, or the sent one the disciple the sheliach was not just sent out but was actually considered a direct representative of the one who sent him such a person had the authority of the sender so Jesus was saying I'm sending you out and just like I lay hands on someone if they got a demon the demon screams begs for mercy and gets out I give you that same power and authority you've been with me Now for a year, I'm sending you out. You've seen me lay hands upon the sick, and they were healed. You've seen me do miracles. I am giving you that same power and that same authority. You are my sent ones, emissaries. You are my agents. And here is the message that you are to deliver. I want you to tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Which means... What does it mean? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, it means it's here. It means the kingdom of heaven is here. It's as close as the hand in front of your face. So your message, when you say the kingdom of heaven is near, and they say, how do we know? It will be when the demons are cast out and when the sick are healed and the dead are raised and the miracles are seen, the power of the authority, wow, the king is here. I believe that the church is entering now an era where we are coming in. We are, we are at the end of the age of grace and we are at the beginnings already, as it were, of the fallings of the, of the kingdom of God and kingdom power, kingdom authority, kingdom glory that is coming because literally that's what Jesus is coming. He is coming to bring his kingdom to the earth and he's going to destroy and smash all demonic and earthly kingdoms that resist him. That's what the book of Revelation is. Every single one of his enemies gets smashed, crushed, destroyed, and defeated every single time. We are sent to go as his emissaries. All we have to do is say, the king is coming. Get ready, world. Presidents, prime ministers, you had better seek the Lord while he yet may be found because a kingdom is coming so powerful, so glorious, and nothing will be able to stop him. The devil can't stop him, the antichrist can't stop him, the demons can't stop him, disease can't stop him, Uh, the demons can't stop him, his kingdom is at hand.
0: Great news from Pastor Ray Bentley from our continuing studies in the Gospel of Mark. We're glad you've joined us today here on Maranatha Radio. Now, today's study is titled Emissaries of Messiah. If you missed any part, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at RayBentley.com. That's RayBentley.com. When you first arrive at our homepage, by clicking Media, you'll see the words Watch, Radio, and Devo. Three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights via video, audio recording, or daily devotions. In fact, at the very bottom of the page, you can arrange to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions each day, automatically, at no charge. And also, you can link to his YouTube and Facebook pages. So why not bookmark it? RayBentley.com. And you'll find Pastor Ray's latest books there, too. His new books, On the Mountain of the Lord, and his latest, The Threshing Floor, a prophetic fiction novel. And raybentley.com is always where you'll find the best deals on Pastor Ray's resources. You can also donate securely right there on the site. Your investments help bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Our mailing address is Maranatha Radio, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127. Well, next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in Mark. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.